All right, turn to Daniel chapter 9. We've been in this series called The Kings of Babylon. Uh, We have one more week next week, which will be Cyrus, which is the surprise. And uh, we'll get to that. But we're talking about that when we as believers are going through a difficult time, even an adjusting or correcting time from the Lord, the enemy is always trying to take us into captivity or into bondage. And even though the Jewish people were in physical captivity, we know through Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and some others, they weren't in spiritual captivity. And so how did they stay free even though they were going through correction and always being attacked? And what we've also seen is that they were being attacked by the spirit of pride. Through these kings, we we talked about the seduction of pride and the stubbornness of pride. This week, we're going to talk about the deception of pride. And we're going to talk about Darius. And so let me just tell you just a little something. So if you're studying this on your own, uh, when they rebuild the temple, when they're released in 539 BC to go back and rebuild the temple, uh, there is a Darius that is mentioned in Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, Haggai, and Zechariah. That's where it talks about the rebuilding of the temple. That is not this Darius. This is Darius the Mede. The Babylonians were conquered by the Medes and the Persians. This Darius in chapter 6 is Darius the Mede. The Darius that uh, is in Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah is Darius the first or Darius the Great, who is a Persian. Okay, so it's just not the same Darius. And I just wanted to point that out, and you'll understand a little bit more of why I say that, because you're going to see how Darius was deceived and what that open door was, all right? So Daniel chapter 6 I'm going to read out the New Living Translation this week, rather than New King James, uh, simply because I was reading it in this version. It, seemed to, it, just, it just seemed to be easier to understand, and it is a translation, which means it comes from the original language, all right? So, Daniel 6, verse 1, Darius the Mede. See, the Bible always refers to this Darius as Darius the Mede. This, this decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. So he's got 120 leaders, provinces. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. So Daniel's one of the top three leaders in the country. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability... The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Just want you to notice, he's about to even promote him above the other two guys. Then the other administrators and high officers begin searching for some fault in the way Daniel's handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Now watch this next statement. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. How would you like for that to be written on your end of the year job review? (laughs) She's faithful, she's always responsible, and she's completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. I want to come back to that statement in a moment. We're all in agreement. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. 
give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And obviously, Daniel 6 is the when Daniel's thrown into the lion depends. But I want you to notice the statement, we're all in agreement. I, ho- I hope it just jumps out at you. That was a lie. Daniel wasn't in agreement. <laughs> and he was one of the high officers. We are all in agreement. The reason I want to say that is, is the way Satan, the only way Satan can take you into bondage, the only way is to get you to believe a lie. That's it. If, he's, if it's going to happen in your marriage, he's going to tell you a lie that you're not right for each other. You're not meant for each other. You rushed into it. I had one guy say to me, we're opposites. I said, uh-huh. <laughs> Have you ever heard the term opposite sex? Of course you're opposites. Because if you marry someone who's like you, you'll kill each other. <laughs> That's what attracted you to that other person. So what Satan will do, please hear me, if he's going to take you into bondage, he's going to deceive you, and the way he deceives is he lies. And that's what he did with Darius. Please uh, hear me, pride was the original sin by which Satan fell. I'm gonna make a pretty strong statement here. You are the most like Satan when you walk in pride. Another way to say it, now again, this is going to be strong, but I'm just, I'm just using grammar here, but this word is pretty strong, but it is satanic, which means like Satan. That's all it means, but we know that's a strong word. It's satanic to be prideful. You're the most like God when you walk in humility. The king of kings, the creator and sustainer of the universe was born in a stable. So Darius goes into deception because of pride. So let me show you some things about pride, all right? And deception. Number one, pride opens the door to deception. See, if he hadn't have been prideful, he wouldn't have been deceived because they said you can be a God. You will have people pray only to you. Uh, Daniel 6, verses 8 and 9. And now your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Okay, so he had pride. But I haven't talked to you about this yet. So, so I, we talk about pride, but where does pride come from? And I've, I don't have time to build this. This could be an entire message. So just believe me and study it for yourself. But there is a root of pride, and the root is insecurity. Every person I've ever met, including me, who's had a difficulty with pride, has a root of insecurity. Darius the Mede, Darius the Mede, he was not a Persian. Cyrus, which we're going to see next, is actually the conqueror of Babylon. But he's the real king, but he makes Darius the king because Darius, Darius is the general of his army, and Darius is the one that conquered it. Darius is the one that killed Belshazzar. I wish I could read it to you, but I just don't have time. I have so much history that I could give you. But Belshazzar leaves the temple that night after the handwriting on the wall, and he says to his guards, 
uh, if anyone tries to get in, because he thinks someone's going to kill him, he, he sees the handwriting on the wall, and, and Daniel interprets it. He says, if anyone tries to get in, even if he says he's the king, you're to kill him. So he sneaks out the back way because he gets physically sick. When he tries to get back in, he says, I'm the king. They said, yeah, but the king told us <laughs> that if anyone tries to get in and even says he's the king, we're to kill him. And Darius, now this is written by Herodias, which is a Persian historian, so it's not in the Bible. It's by a historian of the day who's, who's a very well-established historian and very reputable. He says that Darius, hearing this, took the shaft of a candelabra and smashed his skull. And that's the way he was killed. So Darius besieges, also the way he, uh, he kills Belshazzar. He also captures Babylon, which could not be captured. And the reason it couldn't was because it was such a strong and high-walled city, kind of like Jericho, except God caused those walls to fall down. But here's the reason that Darius did it. When he was on his way, he comes to this river uh, called the Gindaz River, and one of his stallions gets in to cross the river, and the river is so strong it takes him downstream and kills him. And he gets so mad, he says, I want this river, I want to make this river where even a woman or a small child could cross it. So he has the, his, his um, uh, officers and his uh, troops dig all of these channels to divert the water so they could walk across it. He gets to Babylon, and they can't enter it. They besiege it, but they can't enter it. In other words, they surrounded it. But the Euphrates River ran through it, through the city. So what he does is he sends the men upstream, and they divert it. Actually, it went to a marsh. They found these ruins to this day. This is what history tells us too. They divert these the, the water to a marsh. The men come back. The water begins to go down, but it goes down slowly so that the Chaldeans and Babylonians don't notice it, and they enter through on both sides where the canal is, and that's how they conquered it. So Darius is the general that conquered the city, so Cyrus makes him the king. Here's what I think, though. He was always insecure because he was a Mede, not a Persian. And the Medes had joined the Persians so they wouldn't be destroyed by the Persians. So because of his insecurity, he was open to deception. Are y'all are following me? Okay. But let me show you something about Daniel. So they make this law, and then look at verse 10. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual. So he's not doing it to make a point. He's just doing what he normally does. It's usual. In his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. I'll tell you why he did that in a moment. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Notice three times a day. Okay, so why did he pray toward Jerusalem? Because in the dedication prayer of Solomon, which Solomon prayed when he dedicated the temple in 1 Kings 8, he makes this statement, if the, sky, if the skies are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, and if they pray toward this temple and acknowledge your name and turn for their sins that you punish them, then hear from heaven and forgive them. So that's one of the reasons the Jews prayed toward Jerusalem because of that prayer. He prayed three times a day because in Psalm, David said, uh, Psalm 55, 17, morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice, morning, noon, night. Okay, so why am I telling you that? Because the burden of this series for me is that even when we're being corrected by God, Satan is still on the attack, and he's trying to take us into bondage. So how did Daniel keep from going into bondage to pride? 
Because remember, Daniel's the one that saw the, read the handwriting on the wall. Daniel's the one that interpreted the king's dream. Daniel was about to be made number two in the entire kingdom. Daniel had favor with all four kings. And I can show you that verse. I had so many verses in my notes that I just couldn't get through them all. But you can read the verse that he had favor with all four kings. Okay. Why, how, then, how come then Daniel didn't have pride? Here's why. Because he knew the word of God. He stayed in the word of God. The reason he prayed toward Jerusalem was he'd read 1 Kings. The reason he prayed three times a day because he'd read the Psalms. He knew the word of God. I have uh, uh, all of my uh, children uh, got degrees or went to school for something other than what, that now they're all in the ministry. Ethan and Lane are about to move to Houston to plant a church. Ethan got a degree in the county. So I had Ethan take theology classes at the King's. Um, uh, Josh, my oldest son that's planted the church in Austin, got a degree in film, film production. He used, he's the very first one that ever produced the commercials that you see, that were, well, what we call announcements, but we also call them commercials. He's the first one that ever did that here at the church. So he got a degree in film, then decides to be a pastor. So I made him study theology. James, my son, went to Baylor to study business and got a, uh, and now he's in the ministry. I'm making him study theology. Elaine, you know, I say James got a degree in film. James studied business. Elaine went to school. <laughs> Don't mean that wrong, but I'm not sure she did a lot of studying during that time. And so, so, but I'm making her study theology now. But she's a great speaker. She's a fantastic speaker. She has this gift. But I remember when she was writing one of her messages one time, she would call me. And run things by me because any, when you're young, you're learning theology. So she said, I got this great point. And she took about five minutes and shared it with me. And she said, what do you think? And I said to her, well, I absolutely love your point, except there's only one thing wrong with it. She said, what? I said, it's 100% theologically incorrect. <clears throat> Other than that, it's a great point. Her point was that the cross causes God to see us differently. And that's what many Christians believe. I said, you have to understand something about God. God never changes. And God loved us before the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we loved him, he loved us. And Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. I said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted him for righteousness. And God has always looked at you at his, as his child. And he's always loved you. And I said, the cross doesn't cause God to see you differently. It causes you to see God differently. That's correct theology. So the reason that Daniel didn't go into bondage is because he knew the word of God. So that's the first thing I want to share with you. Here's the second point. Number two, pride always brings regret. It always brings regret. Now, when they came to him and said, hey, Daniel's broken the law, it says he did everything he could to, get, to try to change it and get Daniel out of it. In other words, he regretted doing what he had done. And then in uh, verse 16, so at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. By the way, this is the same day. It's the same day. The king said to him, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Verse 18, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. When we make decisions based on pride or insecurity instead of principle, we're going to regret it. 
Decisions should never be based on pride. They should always be based on principle. And principle comes from the word of God. I've done this many, 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 many times. And I've had to talk to help. I try to help young pastors with this. Because what happens is when you have this root of insecurity and rejection in your life, and you go into whatever industry you go into, when you start getting opportunities, sometimes you accept some opportunities that you shouldn't have accepted or some responsibilities or some new things because it's like meeting a need in you instead of whether God tells you to. And then you get your plate too full. Y'all you, understand what I'm saying? So I used to accept a lot of speaking invitations. And I, I can remember going sometimes and thinking, why did I do this? But it was fulfilling this need that I had instead of going to God saying, God, do you want me to do it? I did lots of things because of pride. One of the things I did, I remember, in the 80s, Suburbans became real popular. Before that, some of you will remember this, Suburbans were used for like flower delivery trucks and carry caskets. That's about what they were used for, okay? And in the 70s, what was popular was custom vans. And everybody had a custom van if you wanted something big and you customized it. So we had a custom van, but in the 80s, all of a sudden, Suburbans started getting real nice and people started buying Suburbans and all my friends started buying Suburbans. And so I said to the Lord, can I buy a Suburban? And the Lord was just like this. He said, nope. (laughs) And so, well, it's in the budget. I'm okay financially. I can do this. Um... So can I buy a Suburban? Nope. Well, is there a reason? Because I said, you know, it's just like your parents sometimes. Because I said, okay. So I went for months. And finally, I thought, you know, everyone's getting Suburbans. A Suburban is not a sin. I must have misheard the Lord. And then I found a good deal. And come on, I just want to know if I'm the only one. I'm actually going to ask you to raise your hands at every campus. Have you ever thought that something was God's will because it was a good deal? And did you find out later it was not God's will? (laughs) It was not a blessing. It was actually a curse. But it was a good deal. And I, I, I called around. There was no internet back then. I called around. I found these dealerships. I found this one. It was a good deal. It was in Weatherford. I drive out there. When I'm taking the exit, there used to be a real popular song on the, on the radio uh, called Turn Your Heart Toward Home. <laughs> this song came on the radio right when I was taking the exit. And the Lord said to me, turn your heart toward home. This is not me. You know this is not me. I turned the radio off. (laughs) This illustration could have worked last week too on stubbornness. Pride makes you stubborn. I went, I looked at it. I decided, yes, I'm going to buy it. And it must be God's will because it's a good deal. That makes, that always makes it God's will. That's what I thought. So, I said, tell them I'm going to go home, get the title in my van. They gave me the price, trade it in. I'll get a cashier's check, whatever, da-da-da. I go back, you know, a couple hours later. They said, we're going to wash it, change the oil, get it ready for you, all that. I'm taking the same exit. The same song comes on the radio. I turn the radio off. 
We go to the dealership. They said it's not quite ready. Y'all want, if y'all went and have dinner, and then you can come back, it'll be ready by an hour. We went to have dinner. We came back, took the exit. The same song came on the radio. So obviously, being a godly man, you know what I did. I bought the Suburban anyway. <laughs> Would you, don't look at me with judgmental eyes. Because I'll ask you to raise your hands again. The gas gauge broke on that Suburban. We ran out of gas on the side of the road. Our whole family, three kids. Every tire went flat at a different time. Tire go flat. And then when I went to put the spare on the first time, it was flat. See, I didn't buy new cars back then. I, could, I bought used cars and all, I just all the budget would allow, you know. Um, everything, the air conditioner went out in June. And I, could, I didn't, couldn't afford to fix it till like October. We spent the summer without air conditioning. Then, you ready for this one? The engine had a small oil leak, ran out of oil, and blew up. I'm thinking about this, and the Lord says to me, are you getting the message? I said, I'm getting the message. I sold it, lost thousands of dollars. A week later, a week later, a friend of mine calls me and said, hey, we, my wife and I bought a new Suburban. Ours is only about three years old, and we want to donate it to your ministry. And then he says to me, we were going to donate it last spring, but the Lord told me to wait till the fall. Point three. Everyone understand point two? Always causes regret. Point three, pride causes spiritual blindness. This is how you get deceived because you're spiritually blind. You can't see in the spirit anymore. So he puts him in the lion's den. The king can't sleep all night. The next morning he comes to the lion's den. He says, Daniel, are you okay? Daniel says, I'm okay. God protected me. They pull him up. Look what happens, verse 23. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. And he had, he had them thrown into the lion's den along where their wives and children. It shows that sin affects uh, other people in your life too. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart. Now, here's why I underline this before they even hit the floor of the den. The reason I say that is there are some people today trying to discredit the Bible, which is just amazing to me. And they're giving all these uh, earthly explanations for miraculous events. Here's what I can't believe. Why would it surprise you that God can do miracles? God shut the mouths of lions. This was not, so some say that the lions were fed that day. That's why the king did it. And then that's why they didn't eat that night. Okay, if they'd been fed that day, they would not have eaten these people before they even hit the floor. They'd have still been full because when the lion eats, he's full for several days. It takes a while to digest it. So th this was a miracle that God did. I just wanted to say that, all right? But here's the point. The spell was broken because Darius saw God. He humbled himself. 
the deception was gone because he knew immediately then I've been deceived and he brought swift judgment. Now, let me, uh, uh, the reason I want to say where, where I want to go, where I'm about to go is I'm talking about spiritual blindness. In John chapter nine, there's a story of a blind man being healed and Jesus addresses spiritual blindness better in that chapter than any chapter I've ever seen in the Bible. And I want to, I want to show it to you, but I want to read you a little bit of the story because it's extremely funny. And some of you have never seen as much humor in the Bible as there is humor. There is a lot of humor in the Bible, a lot of humor. For instance, one day the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, you know, you cast out demons by the ruler of the demons, Beelzebub. Do you remember that? Jesus said, well, who do you cast them out by? That's funny because they didn't cast them out. <laughs> so, so there's a, and then one time they came and they asked him a question. He said, I'll ask you a question. If you can answer my question, then I'll answer yours. You know, was John the, John's baptism of God or not? They said, well, if we say it was of God, they'll say, why weren't you baptized? If we say not, the people will So they said, we don't know. He said, well, I'm not asking, answering your question either. So there's a lot more humor in there than what you think. So John 9, they're walking along. There's a blind man. He doesn't call out. This is not the one that said, have mercy on me, son of David. He doesn't call out. Nothing. He's been blind since birth, and Jesus just heals him. But the way he heals him well, let's just pick it up right there. First of all, they, the disciples said, well, is he blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And let me just say something. That's pride right there. If you ever look at a weakness or a disability of another person and believe it's because of his sin or parents' sin, that is judgmental, legalistic criticism. It's because of sin in the world that we have the difficulties that we have. And so... Please don't be judgmental. But what's amazing is that the disciples didn't say, look, there's a blind man. Would you heal him? Instead, they said, uh, why, is, this, why is, he, is it his sin or his parents' sin? I think sometimes Jesus wanted to just punch him in the mouth, you know? <laughs> so he just, he heals this guy. So let's pick it up. When he said neither, by the way, he said neither. Neither one. But then here's where we're going to pick it up, verse 6. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, I like this, that Jesus spat. Then the Bible makes, takes it, gets a little bit more spiritual and says, and made clay. He rubs his spit in the ground. And then it says anointed. He rubbed mud on the guy's face. See, you, again, we don't, we don't have this image of Jesus in our mind. When we think of Jesus, we don't think of Jesus going, <laughs> but he did. Okay. And anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which I think the blind man could have said, well, I didn't need to wash before you rub mud on my face, <laughs> which is translated since. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, this is a man born blind, born blind. Now, watch all the talking that goes on. This kind of reminds me, this is the social internet of that day. I can't believe all the comments people make about stuff, but it's just, you know, and, and some of them are great comments, but some of the, you know, you've, you've seen the weird comments. So, so watch the talking that goes on. People have been talking even before the internet. Okay. 
Verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors and those who had previously seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I'm him. <laughs> Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay. He left out the part (laughs) and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Just simple. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now he's in trouble and he didn't even ask to be healed, but he's in trouble with the religious crowd now. It was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay. Can you imagine that? When Jesus made the clay. So he had to work, apparently, and open his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. Now watch what he says now. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. That's, he's just trying to, that's all, that's all that happened, guys. I didn't do anything wrong, Okay. Then verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Now they call his parents in. And they asked them saying, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Isn't that amazing? Religion's mad about this. A guy gets healed and they're upset. His parents answered them and said, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Watch this. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. (laughs) They didn't want to ask him. But watch what happens. Verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know. Though I was blind, now I see. That's pretty good. This one, here's one, here's something I know. So here's what I want to say to you. Even if you haven't studied theology, and even if you're a new believer, you can say to people, I don't know about the dinosaurs. I know this. I was lost and now I'm found. That's what I know. That's it. Then watch. Then they said to him again. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, but you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) That made him really mad. They kicked him out then. So they kick him out of the temple. They literally kick him out. But it says Jesus went and found him. Just want you to know when religion kicks you out, Jesus will come find you. Now, this is, this is the where I want to get to, the whole thing about pride and spiritual blindness. Because next week, it's going to take a turn when Cyrus, when God Cyrus, all right? Three weeks, we've been talking about pride. This is where I wanted to get to right here. Here's the cure to pride. Verse 39. And Jesus said, for judgment... I've come into this world. Watch this. That those who do not see may see. 
He's talking about spiritual eyesight here. And that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said, bingo. (laughs) Now listen to what he said. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now or since you say we see, therefore your sin remains. All right, here's what he's saying. If you would just admit to me that you can't see without me, if you just admit that you're blind without me, I would take away your sin. You would have no sin. I would remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. What an amazing statement. You would have no sin. All of your sin would be removed if you just admit to me that you need me. But since you say that you can see without me, your sin remains. Here's what he's saying. Because you're prideful, I'm not going to forgive you. But if you'd humble yourself and ask for my help, I would take away all of your sin and I'd be your savior. So the key, the key to forgiveness of sin is to admit we need a savior. It's to swallow our pride and admit we can't see without you, Lord. We can read a chapter a day in this book or five chapters a day or 10 chapters but we will never understand it unless you open our spiritual eyes. We can't understand this without you. We need you. When you do that, he can heal you from blindness. He can heal you from pride. One last thing. In the 80s, a very prominent television preacher fell. Right before he fell, about three months before it was, it was announced that he fell, I was watching him. And he made this statement. He said, I've been told that we are now the largest Christian television ministry in the world. So when you give to us, you're giving to the biggest and the best ministry in the world. I remember when he said it, chills went down my spine. And I actually thought, God, I pray for him. Because that's one of the most arrogant statements I've ever heard anyone make. I also pray for me that I don't succumb to something like that one day too. You know when you see something in someone else, you ought to pray for yourself too. (laughs) But just a few months later, it was announced that he had fallen morally. But I remember someone said, did you hear about his sin? And I said, I I heard about his fall, but his sin was pride. His fall was immorality. His sin was pride. 